This episode is brought to you by Sheath. You can go to sheathunderwear.com and discover the most comfortable underwear ever created. Now, what makes sheath underwear different? Well, for men, on the inside of the underwear, there is a dual pouch. That means separate compartments for your manhood. Imagine a silky, smooth pouch on the inside that your boys slide right into that keeps you separate from your legs so there's no more sticking, no more chafing, no more need for readjustment. We all know that little move you have to make to kind of peel the bad boys off of the leg. Well, with sheath, that is a thing of the past. There are several fabrics to choose from, from modal to bamboo. My personal favorite is the bamboo. It's a newly launched product that everyone seems to really love. I highly recommend trying the bamboo sheath underwear if you have not ever given yourself the gift of true comfort. Wearing these underwear truly sets a new precedent for what underwear are and for most people, I think they end up switching entirely over to sheath because when you put on your old underwear after trying these, they just don't cut it anymore. You can try sheath risk-free. There is a 100% money-back guarantee on your first pair. So go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. I've been involved with Sheath since its conception. It was founded by my brother, Robert Patton, who is a US military vet, who during the course of his two tours to Iraq, developed this product out of need. Need is the mother of invention, as he likes to say. And he did a great job bringing this awesome product to the world. Again, that's sheathunderwear.com promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Ohana Kava Bar. Go to ohanakavabar.com and check out their selection. Ohana means family and it is spelled O-H-A-N-A and Kava is spelled K-A-V-A. You can order directly from their website and they will mail you high quality kava. If you don't already know, kava is a plant medicine, an herbal supplement, a replacement for alcohol. It is an incredible experience. I have used kava for years now. I love it. It makes you chill, happy, vibey. It is a communal and ceremonial beverage to unwind with at the end of your day. If you haven't given kava a try, I highly recommend it. Again, go to ohanakavabar.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 10%. Their store offers classic kava, instant kava, kava tinctures, kava capsules, and more, all of which I have tried and all work incredibly well. ohanakavabar.com promo code TIMEWHEEL.
Accessing archive. Authorizing. Access granted. Accessing file. Oh yeah, remind me how to pronounce your last name. Uh, it's Clementine Kruczynski. Kruczynski. Mm-hmm. All right. Clementine Tru. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Trukinski, no, right? It's crew. Like okay, so like crew? ship, like ship crew, okay. and then chin, chin, and then ski. Okay, Kruczynski. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I got it. You got it. Okay. Uh, all right, we're rolling. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Clementine True. True. Oh my God. I'm here with. I'm here Why with Clementine, just say Clementine. I'm here with Clementine. True. I'm here. I'm gonna get this. It is funny, and I and I like this actually. Uh, I'm here with Clementine Kruczynski. Yeah. How are you today? I'm good. Um, a little tired, being honest. I had a big morning, but I'm feeling really grateful for the chance to finally drop in with you. It's someone I really admire and I'm looking forward to our conversation. As always, I, I love our conversation. So. Yes, me too. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. I'm mm-hmm. super happy. I mean, so for the people listening, um, just a, a little background as to our connection. Uh, mm-hmm. You actually run Church of the Sacred Womb. You are the founder, um, and you work with another good friend of mine, Ostra, and uh, you guys do amazing work in the space of integration of psychedelic medicines, uh, as well as, you know, just general, uh, you know, practicing it in its highest form of respect for what these plants can do for us all. Um, and you know, I, I've been to a number of your gatherings and I've always found them to be just absolutely beautiful, absolutely sacred. And some of the most amazing community circles that I've, you know, ever been part of. And, um, it's been just absolutely amazing working with you and it's great to get, uh, this chance to share the story, um, about you and the church, um, that you have founded. Uh, with the audience, but to, to give them a little more background, I'm just curious, you know, how would you describe yourself, um, who you are, what you do, um, and yeah, w- where you're going on this, this path that you're on? Yeah, uh, loaded, uh, loaded topic. <laughs> I want to first just say also that I'm actually a co-founder. So shout out to Ostra, my partner in this work and who's been there since the beginning as well. So we actually oh, call ourselves co-founders and, okay. um, but yeah, I'm the executive director. I work with all the major decision-making and vision and planning and things like that. And really grateful for my team and, uh, and my partner, my actual romantic partner, my husband, Leo, who they just put up with me. I, I somewhat feel somewhat like a mad scientist mad genius where I'm just like I go on these whims and I'm in these crazy wormholes of research and and development Mm -hmm. of downloads and really grateful for their support and um, commitment to this path as quote quote out there as it can be (laughs) depending Mm -hmm. on the wormhole Um, but yeah so uh, I yeah I'm I work 
most of my focus at this time has been on building the foundation of the church, which has been a four-year project to this point. Mm -hmm. And I feel really, really lucky. I know a lot of people are really striving to find their purpose in this life. And so to really be aligned with that and um, to be devoted to it is really a privilege that I recognize. And um, I, I feel very honored to do the work that I do. Um, and then as an individual, I had a really long journey uh, with my own business. I I started with a, uh, an apprenticeship with a business coach, a really well-known um, sort of speaker and, and coach. And so I had a five-year apprenticeship with him. And um, But he helped me sort of realize that, yeah, you can have a job, but then you can also build a business where the ceiling on what you can earn is a lot higher and or right. non-existent. So I, I was in the entrepreneurial world really early on, way before my awakening. I was around 20 when I started this uh, business mindset. Mm-hmm. And I had a feng shui business. Uh, I did feng shui and space healing. I call it space healing now, um, mm-hmm. which is where effectively I make spaces that can really nurture people, which is a tremendously healing modality. Like if your own space nurtures you and heals you, it's just a tremendous advantage in the of the world. Um no yeah, wonder so, your house is so awesomely set up. <laughs> I never knew that. That's really cool. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, eight years I did that. And, wow. Um, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, personal organization and help people with uh, systems. That's one way I'm unique is I have really good grasp on systems and left brain as well as the uh, more intuitive creative side. So I'm a really good hybrid of both. But Very cool. Yeah, so space, I call it space healing now. It was the first modality that I really knew I could speak to spirit so space is it's called space whispering actually mm-hmm. um where the objects and the spaces will actually speak to me and it's a really long old concept uh, in roman times it was called the genius loki or the spirit of the space mm-hmm. and you know could go on that for a while but essentially <laughs> so that kind of morphed into coaching work because people sort of started to approach me about life coaching and i was already doing a lot of that going through people's most intimate spaces and and their papers and really helping them kind of in a general sense and mm-hmm. um and I, I started working I built an art collective so I started working in the arts and applied kind of the business knowledge I had gained from my apprenticeship and applied there and that kind of blew up unexpectedly um mm-hmm. so I did that for three years just again like community organization similar to what I do now just in the bar scene or the you okay. know the creative music scene, art scene. Um, and have you always lived in Austin? I know I'm from North Houston originally. Um, okay. Always been in Texas, but I came here for uh, school at UT in 2007, mm. and I've just been here since. Okay, cool. So much magic here, oh my gosh. Like, Yeah, it really does have, you know, a charge to it, and it mm-hmm. seems to be an area, uh, a really good area for you to be with the, with the gifts that you have to share, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of visions over the years, especially like when I was working with the arts, it started that around that time, which was 2013 to 2016. So I was doing that concurrently with my business building and um, with my kind of cl- management of clients. And those were kind of uh, simultaneous work for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I would have all these visions about the land here and how like there, Austin, there was so much potential here and it yeah. had to do with like the aquifer and we could get into all that, but it's I have seen topic. visions about Austin as well, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. It's, it's so interesting um, how, you know, it's almost like energy or influence or 
intentional power. And I, I, I've laid down and, and had, you know, psychedelic states where I could, in Austin, where I could see that this was a Mecca of yeah. spirituality in the United States. And certainly mm-hmm. the, the, the most spiritual city I've ever spent time in, you know, I haven't gone to India or the Mayan temples or any of these amazing places. People go to feel that spiritual mm-hmm. surge um, of history and uh, influence there. But um, Austin certainly feels that way for me every time I go. And I really appreciate that about it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so you worked yeah. for yourself oh. for a number of years and then kind of mm-hmm. uh, as well, working with different companies and helping community organize. Mm-hmm. Um, you say this is before your awakening. So yeah. were you happy um, doing all this stuff? Um, what do you mean by happy? <laughs> I guess I mean with awakening typically comes a sense of purpose and a, and a deeper drive towards um, feeling like you know why you're here on earth and um, I could be, you know, fully taking awakening in a different way than maybe you meant it, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what I wonder because I had, a, you know, in my own experience, uh, dealt with depression before my quote unquote awakening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my life wasn't bad. I had a ton of stuff to be grateful for, but how connected was I to that gratefulness? You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe we kind of have different views on the term, um, Mm-hmm. For me, awakening does normally start with um, the descent into the underworld or the hero's journey where you really are going more dark into the dark, darker parts of life. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody thinks it's this glorious, you know, oh, like enlightenment, but it's actually a clearing process first. And there's a lot of clearing, a lot of deprogramming. So it's kind of, in my view, um, understood as a descent and then kind of you hit rock bottom and then you kind of like build your way back up on your own terms and according to your own spirit to, right. um, to put it kind of succinctly. Sure. But so for me, my awakening started in 2013 um, simultaneously around when I was starting with the art collective um, work, but mm. uh, my ex-boyfriend of five years died in a car accident oh, no. and yeah, and it was just very personal death to me. It was very sudden, um, sure. and there was just so much, um, so much there, and yeah. so it, it really just awa- awakened me to my own emotional world more deeply and to my own depth. And to, mm-hmm. so, to me, that started that process of like, wow, like who I thought I was really isn't who I thought it was, and there's so much more here. And it was sort of from there an uncovering process and a clearing, also a karmic clearing. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, but yeah, my my business building and everything. I, I feel very lucky to have always had teachers along my journey. Um, mm-hmm. I've always had a lot of guidance, at least um, as I kind of started out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I had teachers kind of guiding me. <clears throat> first to, to be in business for myself. And, mm. um, and yeah, I've actually never had a real matrix job as it were, mm. except for um, in high school working retail. Right. Were these but, teachers yeah. mentors? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did you find these mentors? Um, one was through Craigslist, uh, through a job posting. Um, mm-hmm. that was the business apprentice. Then one of them, uh, so, 
through my journey, I kind of realized, I think now my, my understanding of it now is that I am certainly somewhat on the, um, Asperger spectrum or autistic spectrum to some extent. I'm certainly neurodivergent, um, which has been a whole thing to kind of integrate and, um, be aware of. But so I didn't really start out with good social skills Mm. to say the least. Like I really didn't understand how to connect with people, which was, kind of the result of a lifetime of not really fitting in and not really making sense to my peers. Um, and so kind of when I got into college and was more uh, living in the world, I, I was really interested in learning how to connect, but I just had no skills. So I would read these books about how to talk to people and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I would go and do these little um, social experiments, I called them, where I would go into public and I, my heart would be racing and I would be kind of pushing myself to connect with people um, and developing just past high, how are you? And it would at first be so challenging. My gosh, like entire nervous system override or like overwhelm. And, yeah. um, but I remember one of them, I was going to go to this arts it was a East Austin, East Austin studio tour. And I was going to go to this arts event and go down the line. And I was going to talk to every artist at every booth mm-hmm. And I, and it was such a challenge, but I did it. And one of them, this is an example, like one of them, I, um, I ran into one of my teachers there and we just, we had an immediate connection. And so she was like a more uh, meditative kind of energetic realm teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was a way that one came. Wow. What was it that you felt attracted to about these mentors? Um, Now I think of it that I had soul contracts with them, Mm -hmm. just certainly how it felt at the time, but I don't know if I had that language. Uh, Mm -hmm. But so it was more just kind of like maybe I taught them in a past life or, you know, or maybe, you know, we've had a long journey together as souls. Um, But so I don't know if there's like an answer for that per se on a logical level, but Mm -hmm. I would say that it was just that, that experience where you just meet someone and you drop in with them. And there's this feeling of that immediate resonance and alignment of like, yes, and we're supposed to connect and we're supposed to, you know, for a lot of them, it was like trading of skills. Like, Mm -hmm. like I can help them organize or they could help me develop in another way or. Yeah. um, Yeah. For me with the mentors I've bumped into, I always felt like they were able to do something I wanted to know how to do. Mm-hmm. It was like, um, for example, mm-hmm. Mitch Schultz, uh, director of DMT, the spirit molecule was probably mm-hmm. the most profound mentor, um, that I had. And I, I met him when I was 18. Um, it was, Hey, he's made a film, you know, mm-hmm. I want to make films that's inspiring. Uh, mm-hmm. I have no idea how to make a film. I, I mean, I know, how to do my own indie version, but like his film was professional. It seemed to have a budget and it seemed to have a ton of crew behind the camera, not just me, you know what I mean? Like, cause when I shoot, it's just me, it's me yeah. and my friends, you know, but he, he was able to direct a full crew to uh, a means um, or to an end, I should say. And mm-hmm. um, that was very inspiring. And I was like, Whoa, if there's anything I can learn from this guy, I'm totally willing to, do whatever I can do to help him um, to, to learn it and return as well. And that's kind of how that relationship formed. And I also found mentorship with my brother, my older brother, who I grew up with. And I never saw him that way at the very beginning because he was just my older brother and mm-hmm. he wasn't really an adult either yet. 
But after he kind of got his footing through this experience with the military he was in, he came back a leader. <laughs> you know, he came back changed and he had been through stuff and he knew how to lead. And he was a leader in uh, his platoon and he became a sergeant in the army as well. And I was very attracted to like this quality of transformation. He's, he's a new person. Um, it's almost like he's, you know, an evolved version of himself as well as, yeah, the ability to lead and lead with respect, you know what I mean? Lead in a way that felt uh, like it had dignity to it. Um, so for me, it was definitely like qualities I've been attracted to and, and want to learn how to hone for myself because I do find that, you know, part of my path is, it seems to be, you know, to, to be in some type of leadership role in the creative world. Um, so yeah, just speaking to, you know, people that might be interested in mentors and, and what those things are and what can come of that. I mean, my whole life wouldn't be what it is today if it weren't for mentors, but it also wouldn't be what it is today without me seeking it, aligning with it and deciding to try, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I want to speak to your point that you shared at, um, in July at the mind jam event with the podcast launch and you were on, you know, you were speaking and I think you were working with your brother actually speaking, but you were basically saying, And it was so potent. And I feel like this is so the key. So I just want to highlight it here where you were speaking about showing up with generosity that, you know, people, everybody just wants to get things. And there's this consumptive, um, extractive energy. Like a lot of people approach me to be in an apprentice role. Mm -hmm. And I turn down most of them because they're in a place where they're trying to extract from me. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people that, want to show up and are generous. And obviously we're all tired. This system in itself is tiring and draining. And, you know, we all have our own challenges and Mm -hmm. it's like, but people will show up with this attitude of, yes, whatever you need to me to do, like you need me to clean buckets. I'm there. Like you need me to do this. I'm there. You need me to take out your trash, scoop your litter box. I'm there. This attitude of wherever I can serve. And it's a generous service-based mindset. And you were speaking to that, to the event. And I felt like you were so highlighting the most important, one of the most important elements to securing truly aligned mentors and And showing up with a heart of service and you were speaking to this notion of like, sometimes it takes five years before something even gets Mm -hmm. off the ground. And that is the truth. And, you know, but in this world, everyone wants instant gratification and, you know, and I've run into like apprentice type roles who they, um, they immediately want to sit at the decision-making table and they immediately want to have all of the authority. And it's like, I don't even know you. And like, who are you? And like, what is this? Um, myth yeah. that you're going to come into something that I've been birthing for four years and just think that you can like run it or should be able to. Right. And I want to just um, use a metaphor for this that I really like um, based on my, I've like helped serve in ayahuasca ceremonies um, in an a- apprentice slash service role. And like, that's a structure that I think about. It's like, 
if I'm going to a mentor's, like I would never step into someone's ayahuasca ceremony structure as a helper and tell them how to do it. Right. I would never, I would never cross that boundary. Like they, whatever they need, you need me to clean the buckets. Fine. You need me to put toilet paper in the bathroom. Fine. You need me to help clean up someone that purged on themselves, take them to the shower. Fine. Like right. what, whatever it is a service-based role, even though in my structure i'm at the you know in the leadership role i will step into someone's aya ceremony and be at the bottom rung helping because that's what the role is and so it's it's this mindset and heart role of service um mm-hmm. an acknowledgement of place like acknowledgement of place yeah um, like absolutely. are you a student <laughs> like yes don't coming this, up. you know yeah. Yeah, coming in with that, I'm here to learn, I'm here to help, yeah. I'm here to do whatever you pass on to me right. and and not, you know, overstep any boundaries. And what's interesting is I can realize that now uh, in hindsight, but I was 18 when this happened. It was just this way that felt right to me. Like now I can kind of analyze and, and see how I was the way I was and uh, that it actually really worked. But back then, I was just truly grateful for the opportunity, period, at all. Yeah. If I can just get you coffee, Mitch, yeah. I'm happy. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, yes. So that's how it was. And, and my brother always kind of gave that credit to me, too, that because I was helping with his company, Sheath, I wasn't saying, you know, okay, now pay me for my help. I, mm-hmm. I was just yeah. generously yeah consulting, creative, video work, yep. audio work. I'm doing it all because I want to be involved and I support this and I support you. Mm-hmm. And through that, it it actually fired him up to believe that what he was doing mm-hmm. was valuable yep. enough to keep going, keep going, despite there being no money, despite mm-hmm. us getting to two, three sales a week, you know, mm-hmm. and now where the company is now, we wouldn't be if it weren't for our synergy. You know what I mean? And the fact that I didn't need payment to keep pushing this company forward and the fact that he appreciated that I was that way. So he kept pushing it forward and together we really built something cool. And I'm sure there's a lot of parallels with what you and Austria are doing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to speak to that, but but I guess, you know, we did get off a little of the timeline there, but but there, there beautiful conversation, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was a period in time where you had an awakening. It sounds like it was through the death of your then boyfriend. And um, what happened next? You know, you, did you? How did you meet Ostra? How did this church begin? How did psychedelics enter your life and plant medicine? Oh my gosh! Well, psychedelics had actually been in my life since I was about fifteen. Um, I was in like a small suburban town of Houston and I wanted to try the drugs and the whole town would not have it. And in my experience or in my understanding of it now is like, I was just being projected upon by the whole, like all of the shadow of the town was being projected onto me. And I was kind of this role, which I'm still this role. It's like the destroyer of falsehood or it's like, um, just the shadow worker where it's like all y'all people, all this stuff is kind of sitting around and nobody's going through it. No one's looking at it. So I'm going to be this force where I go in and I show it all to you and I embody it. And then you get to like, see your own darkness Mm kind of roll. And then it shatters illusions because they have to actually face it. Hopefully a lot of people don't, but anyhow, um, 
so yeah, psychedelics had always been a part since my, my uh, high school days. But I kind of like, you know, got over it. I was like, oh, you know, and then I just graduated, went to college, was kind of over it. And so, but then my journey, so my ex-boyfriend died. And then two months after that, my sister had been devolving into a psychosis, but none of us really realized it because of that big death process in the family, because he was very close to the family. And um, so then like suddenly through the grieving process, we're all like blindsided by the fact that my sister is literally in a psychotic break and we had to like institutionalize her. This is my youngest sister. And it was just heart wrenching because none of us, there was, so this kind of turned me on to like the darker side of psychedelics and like, mm. wow, like, ha- like if you go too far, like what can happen? Mm. Um, was she using I, psychedelics a lot or something? Somewhat, somewhat okay. to, in my understanding. I also don't like to share too much about her personal sure. journey, um, but it. it's not my journey to share, but effectively it, it, it tremendously impacted me. Mm. Um And I had also been really developing psychically at the time and really, um, you know, due to that death and sort of right before it was like 2012 and the ending of 2012. And it's just kind of like a magical moment in the collective. But long story short, it just exploded everything even more. And it was just like one thing after the other felt like. um, And so July 4th, my ex-boyfriend had died on January 9th, 2013. So July 4th, I'm like, I have to do something like this grief is just overwhelming me. I'm also like starting to get more in the public eye because I was working with this art collective that was just getting bigger and bigger. And so I just, I'm, I'm like, I, I decided to just take LSD by myself in my apartment, which I had done plenty of times, um, mm-hmm. but never from a perspective of I'm going to heal myself. Like it's going to be for healing and catharsis. It had always been more of like, oh, let's hang out, you know? Sure. So it blew my mind how much, it blew my mind how much power there was in the intention to heal and feel yeah, <laughs> actually. Totally, 100%. Um, and that was just a game changer. So it was like all the floodgates opened. I realized how much I had been denying myself to feel and just literally went under the veil, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of started this new practice for me of like using psychedelics. Of course I didn't tell many people I was not out of the closet really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my public life kind of blew up more and more. And I was just really under a lot of pressure to maintain this kind of public image. And, um, and so that, that was, it's a whole challenge in itself. But so anyway, so right. continuing the story a little further, essentially my public life blew up and then the bubble burst because I realized there were like some pretty devastating foundational <laughs> cracks, namely mm-hmm. misogyny that was very deeply rooted. And I called it out and again, mm-hmm. had that experience of like the, the, shadow of the group being projected on me and I was scapegoated and kind of, um, character assassinated anyway. So then that really sent me into this deep healing process of just like, wow, I had this very public breakup and this very public, um, you know, loss. And so I went really underground after that. Um, so that, that started what I understand as my actual like initiation journey. Um, although it had well been starting. Um, mm-hmm. since yeah, it always life. is starting before <laughs> it is in our consciousness that it has begun. You know, I, I feel like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, I talk about this uh, in a number of ways on my show, but one is that there is almost like a, a future pull going on that, knows where it's going (laughs) Mm -hmm. like 
and it puts you through experiences to prepare you for where you're going. And each experience yeah. before, w- without the experiences prior, you wouldn't be prepared for. But because you'd been through this, that, and the other thing, you recognize why you've been through those things, the challenges you've been through, and are perhaps prepared to deal with this thing that if it had happened on its own without the preparation, you wouldn't have you know, accomplished or achieved or uh, mm-hmm. gotten past. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but in psychedelic states, I certainly feel as if everything is in a divine timing and that everything that had happened to me, even when I felt like I was a victim, mm-hmm. was supposed to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. So, so there's that. But Oh, it's 100%. Um, yeah. You feel that too? Uh, yeah, it's actually the design of it, I think. Um, and most people just are afraid to kind of take those few steps into the unknown and into the pain that they're feeling. And so they don't actually move through the pain and they don't actually go through that evolutionary release, death process and rebirth. So then they don't evolve, you know, and I think that's the design of it. And in, uh, in the mythological realms and in the shamanic realms, you know, it's known as the shaman's initiation, the underworld journey, um, the descent of the soul. It's known as the hero's journey. Um, and it's all the same thing. We're talking about an archetypal process, like an archetypal storyline that there's a reason why that's in all of our stories in our movies and our, um, you know, the hero sets off and realizes that he doesn't really have power. So he goes into this, you know, whether he leaves the village or he abandons everything he knows to whatever extent he goes and he gets trained by um, either a mentor or tremendous challenges that he or she overcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, and then in the process of overcoming and being beat down by life or or the challenges or what have you, um, they find their strength. Mm -hmm. And in that is the becoming. And then they return to the village. They return to what they knew stronger. And as a leader, just as you described with your brother, if you think about Hercules as a, kind of quintessential storyline of this and it's basically the underlying story to everything all of our you know myths and and so this is what is really the initiation process and without that you can't do what you're here to do and you can't you know it, it i also think of it like the hermit shell like the smaller the smaller hermit shell, the crab leaves the smaller shell and he's naked and vulnerable and exposed to predators and exposed to the elements. And then they find the bigger shell that fits them. And you go through that process hundreds of times before you really get into your power in any you know, manner of speaking. But mm-hmm. yeah, so we're talking about a really important part of the journey, um, especially yeah. with regard to psychedelics. Um, but right. Well, what yeah, would you call so, a true initiation? Going through what what we're talking about and going through it yeah. fully. Mm-hmm. Um, I it is my uh, shall I say exasperated conclusion, or um, I, I am a little frustrated with the modern kind of capitalistic. Like I'm, 
I'm your coach and I'm your guide or I'm your facilitator. And it is my understanding that very few have truly gone through the cycles of initiation, almost like they're half baked. And then they're like, well, I need to make money. So I'm going to make a business serving psychedelics to people, even though I have no idea what I'm doing because I'm not fully initiated. Right. Let's talk Um, about that a lot because it's easy for people to have passion around these medicines, but how, how to know when you're not prepared to lead others, you know what I mean? How to know where you are in your journey, because Mm -hmm. this is, this is important, you know, because people can feel like I've seen it all. Like I understand the mysteries of the universe and I need to show others and the psychedelic space can kind of, almost encourage that too it can kind of say yeah "Yeah, this is healing yes this will help people you should do it but you know where is that fine line between when you're ready to do that and when it's premature yeah um it's a really challenging thing because everybody's journey is so different. So this is the question, right? Is like, how do we standardize? <clears throat> how do we standardize our service or our, our standards of facilitation? So this is something I'm really interested in as somebody that does have a systems mind. Um, mm-hmm. Is like, how do we create systems of whether it's you know accreditation, accreditation, or or what have you? Um, but basically. <clears throat> One major thing about it that I just want to say right off the bat is that if it's something that you're pursuing or that you are seeking out and pushing to happen, that is not the way. That is not the way. That is not how these medicines work. Um, It should fall into your lap (laughs) Um, in a way that is even bewildering. Um, So that right there is a huge part of it. Cause it's, again, it's like this whole thing of like, well, I know what's best and I, you know, I'm going to tell them how to do it. I'm going to do it, you know, rather than like, Oh universe, you're showing me steps toward this. I'm going to acknowledge those steps and that I have some time to get there and that you're going to guide the way. And when I'm ready, you're going to show me the way it's not yeah. like, Oh, I need to make money. So I'm going to, you know, serve people DMT and, they, right. They're not even psychically attuned to what they're doing as an 100%. example or, 100%. or, you know, or I have people in my network, extended network, let me say that like they've been on their awakening journey for a year and a half or less. Mm-hmm. I've only maybe known them for eight months and they're think they're ready to serve ayahuasca. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, right. and they serve it to unwitting mm-hmm. people. And I'm just like, who the f- fuck would do that like clearly people that are not supposed to be serving it you know right that Um, is one of the harsh you know realities that these things have been um affected by the drug war and the demonization you know by the church and these types of things and not your church but i mean the catholic church mm -hmm. um because they drive them underground to the point that you don't there is no accreditation there is no certificate there is no school so people Mm -hmm. just think oh this is willy-nilly you know the, the wild wild west and anyone can do this and you know i think that it is you know slightly naivete that, totally. that that happens, but, but also the fact that 
there are no structures in place. And it is important that people are building those structures. And that seems like what you're doing and the mission that you have um, as well. And it is very important, you know, and I would say, you know, it should really fall into your lap and be a, a synchronistic uh, sequence of events that you cannot ignore that literally says, this is what you're meant to do. This is what you're supposed to be doing. We're going to show you until you understand this is your path, not this like, you know, side hustle you have, you know? Yeah. Like, Oh, don't, I I don't even want to go into the whole capitalistic uh, intersection with like where people are like, well, I need to make money. So I'm going to serve psilocybin in a ceremony. And it's like, the thing about it is like, what people don't understand is like, this is not just a substance. You're not just opening people's, you know, you are opening psychic channels to worlds that if you do not understand what you're doing, you can harm people when you think you're helping them. And this is the, the, just the most critical thing is like, I'm like thinking about this time I was having a gathering And this guy decides to serve DMT in my office at this gathering. So there's like a hundred people at my house and he decides to invite like five to 10 people into my office right next to my bedroom, by the way. And he only gets one person's um, consent and doesn't ask. So, so why I'm bringing this up is because what, so we had opened a cacao circle where we, you know, open a a sacred space and call in the guides and set protections for the cacao that we're serving at the party. So like there's, you know, 80 to hundred people in this circle and you're calling in their psychic elements. You're calling in their soul parts. You're calling in their guides. We're creating a container where we're all on the same psychic plane, if you will. And, he decides to serve DMT with all of those people present without their consent. So he's essentially opened a portal within the portal I had already created that was grounded, consented with, you know, by, and all these things. And he opens a portal to who the fuck knows where without even like, so what happens is if something comes through that he's unaware of, he is subjecting every single person at that gathering psychically to the channel he's opening. And he doesn't have even permission from everybody or the main leader that of the space. So Mm -hmm. it's just stuff like that, that it's like, you don't understand the psychic implications of what you're doing. And like, do you even have permission from the land spirits? Did you even talk to the land spirits? Did you, you know, are you even connected to what you're doing psychically whatsoever? Um, And that's what I mean by like the initiation process and having that true initiation, because it's like, there's just this element of the unseen worlds that you're affecting. And I just, I feel like so few people care or are even aware of that. And then let alone asking true permission. Like I would never open a psychedelic portal without making an offering to the land in recognition of what I'm doing and asking for permission. Like just, so it's, there's a lot of implications and I feel like I'm on a soapbox about it now, but I I do feel like there's a a lack of, yeah, like a lack of self-awareness around it. Like majorly, they think they're ready and you're just not ready. 
Right. It makes so much sense what you're saying. And I feel like this is the way that these medicines have been revered and used for thousands of years. I am curious, how did you come to these understandings? Because you seem to have a much more advanced understanding as to what's going on when psychedelic portals are opened, as you're saying, um, than the common tripper. You know what I mean? Yeah. How did you find this information knowledge? Is it coming from books or experiences mm-hmm. or your you're intuiting it, you're understanding it just firsthand. It's what's going on with it. It is. Um, honestly, I do not know. I My gut and essentially, I think I was sharing about this actually on uh, on your at your June event um, on the panel, mm-hmm. but where essentially it's like the more you clear of your own, whether it's like projections, traumas, memories of where you're attached to these traumas or you clear these like attachments and everything. There's all this like psychic and and emotional material that hangs around any given person's field. It's like Mm -hmm. the more you clear of that through your process, the more you actually just reclaim your true self. And the more you reclaim your true self, you just open more and more portals of understanding that is just who you are. Like, and for me, like it goes back really far. Like I'm a very old soul and like, you know, if I may share, it's like connected with, you know, really ancient earth tribes and like Lemuria, Atlantis, like these societies before our current society were even on the map. And I, I root in this really ancient earth knowledge that just comes to me. And I'm just a channel. I'm an Oracle and a channel. And it's because I've cleared enough of who I thought I was and died enough times that this stuff just comes. Right. And it's like, because it, I'm just who I always was now. Um, and this is like sense. identifying as the soul self. So, but there's, there was a lot of actual, yes, experiences of discovery psychically around this of like, whoa. And, you know, if you've ever taken five MEO DMT in itself, it's like, whoa, download, major download. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's just, um, it's very simple, actually, to me. It's, it's very simple. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's like, it's obvious when you yeah. see it. Totally. Anyway, so it I don't, does. I can't, no, that, really, sorry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I have felt similar things. I don't really know how to language them, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, one way I, I'm able to identify possibly what's been up with my soul uh, in the past or where I've come from or why I'm so attracted to this work Um mm-hmm is the things I'm magnetized towards. So, for example, I'm very magnetized towards the Tao Te Ching. Mm -hmm. It just hits me as truth when I hear it. It just feels right. So when I think of, you know, that being one of the major thought systems that I can identify with, and it feels truthful to me Mm -hmm. versus the Bible feeling truthful Mm -hmm. to me, it kind of points me in the direction of perhaps in a past life or perhaps my soul is connected to the thought systems that created the Tao Te Ching. Um, yeah. Or, may, or maybe I was, maybe I was 
you know, I'm just guessing. I'm just fantasizing almost. But yeah. maybe I was one of the writers of this thing and I'm discovering my own work. You know, what I, mean? I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes I could, I can yeah. kind of feel into that experience, you know, because it, yeah. there's so few things in the world that feel like truth to me. Mm-hmm. But that is one of the things, you know, the Tao Te Ching. Absolutely. And I think you're just talking about like the law of resonance and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a soul identity, you know, there's a soul identity underneath all of our given avatars. It's like an umbrella being that creates all of the different lives. And mm-hmm. I think that it is possible to clear enough um, programming at all, you know, in order to really reach that. Um and, and it does also, so I have this whole branding process. I, my own personal work has been majorly on the back burner, but I have these amazing programs that I don't really share much. It's a whole thing to launch and market. And But I have this branding process called Mythos Magic. And it's essentially this idea of uncovering the soul identity. And it, it boils down to archetypes among a lot of other elements, but it boils down to archetypes and like, you know, like for me, you, you, Matt, have a very like alchemy, like alchemist kind of Mm -hmm. almost wizard archetype, um, Mm -hmm. in the soul self, like in your essential being and almost kind of like this tinkerer, like inventor, um, Mm -hmm. energy along with a lot of other, like you kind of have this fun, like mischievous side and like you have a lot (laughs) of these kind of flavors that I really enjoy, but when it boils down to it, that's to me, like I could see you being in, you know, like ancient alchemy labs and mm-hmm. or like a part of the libraries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And where okay. I have an archetype of like librarian, kind of wisdom keeper, um, shadow worker, dark goddess archetype. And so it's it boils down to kind of like really exploring who you are on the soul level. And once you get there it's really a lot more fun, but of course you've cleared a lot of bullshit. <laughs> right. I feel like the, the yeah. real video game or role playing yeah. game, the fantasy world unveils itself and it's been here all along. People have been playing this game all along, yeah. understanding how connected things are and that this is deeper than just our one life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like totally. in video totally. games, you have 10 lives or infinite lives. Mm-hmm. If you die, you come back, like whatever. It's almost a metaphor Um, for how worked up people can get about their one life and have no fun with what came before or what's coming after. And I don't know. I I mean, it is for the spiritual alchemists to discover and to share the stories of that. And there's not a ton of those people. Certainly it's on the rise, it seems to be. But that is, you know, an interesting way to, I think, alleviate depression by understanding like the larger scope and the larger fun yes. facting fun factor having aspect of life mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh and you know to not be overly bitter or overly serious or you know these types of things that can easily accumulate uh inside of us especially in the age of social media where everything is pushing your face about how great everyone's life is and here you are on the couch or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Comparing and right. Yeah. You're speaking to a really poignant point and, um, and it it does boil down to attachment as well, which, you know, is like Mm -hmm. the suffering, like 
like, oh, I'm attached to being Clementine. And like, if I died, I would be upset. And like, yeah, I have my own attachments. Like I love my husband tremendously and I'm so grateful he's in my life. And I would be really sad if our story, you know, were to end prematurely and things like that. And like, I love the work Oster and I do and things like that. I would be really sad if they were gone. Um, but the point, the poignant point is, um, what you're speaking to is like when people can zoom out and identify as the soul creator, then everything that happens, I mean, the rub is that you have to accept that you have created or contributed to literally every negative situation you've ever experienced and that you wanted it on some level. And that's the rub. Like people do not want to step into that, but that's what is holding Mm -hmm. them back from even being in their power in the first place, including very fucked up shit. Like I've been through very fucked up shit that I'm just like, damn, a dark part of me really love that. Like, damn, you know, like a sadist or masochistic part of me really liked it, for example, or, and, um, but yeah, zooming out and working on these higher consciousness levels, it's like, it, it really does wipe away. Like, and I've seen it when I take people through this program, like it's, it's really cool because I help people step into their power, like in their, you know, they're ready to revamp their branding or, or change their branding or to step out in the first place. It's because it really stems from, can you see their real essence? Like, can you see who they really are? Um, but so what it does is it's like, all of a sudden it gives them this lease on life, like that they can completely transcend whatever, you know, insecurities they have. Cause it's like, no one can do it the way they do it. Like no one can wizard the way you can wizard Matt. Like they just can't, <laughs> you know, no That's one awesome. can, because you have a unique flavor that somebody out there, they would only taste that dish if it was with that flavor, you know? Right. Right. And so then, so it's like the difference between being like, I'm a life coach or like, I'm a life coach that helps highly sensitive people step into their power when they're first stepping into their gifts. Like, because you understand that your identity as a soul is like maybe more of like a mentor guide when people are fledgling into their process or whatever. It just helps you define the niche. And yeah. So so something that came up in that for me is ownership um, ownership of our mistakes, ownership of our karma and to not, you know, blame the outside world or the outside person or persons Mm -hmm. for a negative situation you're in because so much of where we are is a result and or a reaction to actions we took. And maybe they were mistakes. Maybe you truly didn't mean it. Maybe you accidentally, you know, got angry. You didn't want to get angry, whatever it is. For me, in my psychedelic states, I have um, seen the other person's perspective more times than I can count. I have seen how I was being to them and not how I felt I should be. Mm-hmm. And... I could empathize for these people that maybe I wronged. And sometimes even to the point that if I didn't truly feel like I wronged them, I wanted to apologize in case I wronged them. Mm. Like I just want, you know what I mean? 
Like yeah, I feel into that a lot. Um, because it's just, you know, we all have protective barriers. We all have boundaries. We all have things that agitate us or pull our strings or push our buttons or whatever the term you want to use is. And, you know, we all have reactions. And, and sometimes there's been cases where I stopped talking to someone in the past and then later realized potentially my role in all of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, take ownership Admit it to yourself, first and foremost. That's the most powerful thing yeah. you can do. Um, and then if you can really take the next step, send that energy to that person, whether it be through just a thoughtful message or a call or next time you see them in person, just mm-hmm. say, you know, yo, my bad for my part in that, you know, and I accept that um, I played a role in that and it wasn't just you, you, you or that, 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 or whatever, you know what I mean? And that I feel is the act of burning karma. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it, it is like some people will take these things to their grave yeah. before ever admitting fault. And when you're in your death experience, when your time has come, you're going to see how wrong you were every time mm-hmm. I feel. So to ex- accept those things prior and integrate those things prior you have a higher possibility and chance of that death experience being more, I'm coasting. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the body and I'm happy. You know what I mean? I'm leaving the body and I feel like it is my time and I did my work and I tried my hardest and my best and I'm proud of myself mm-hmm. because so many people, you know, look back on life and feel like they didn't try they didn't give it their best. They didn't make those, you know, uh, humbling decisions. They didn't apologize to that person, even when it was their fault. You know, all these things come up in these psychedelic states. And that's why to me, these are spiritual tools. This isn't, let's have fun. You know, it's like, (laughs) is it fun integrating and remembering the time you were an asshole and accept that, you know, is that fun? You know what I mean? I don't know. What does this all bring up for you? It's just, I so admire your, um, this is just what the essence of humility and, and, uh, yeah, what I'm hearing is, um, that essentially it's a direct transmutation tool that to own. And, you know, it's like, you want to be plagued by this same lesson like 30 times and just continue to accumulate the same, you know, pain over 30 different times? Or do you want to just accept and say, okay, life is showing me this. I humble myself and say, yes, very painful, depending on, you know, I'm speaking to the audience. Like it could be very painful. Like, um, but at the same time, it like clears it. It, It's a, it's a direct transmutation process. It's a direct, let me maybe almost like I'm seeing like you swallow it and you digest it. And it's like, you're receiving and you're clearing that from the field um, as opposed to just kind of brushing it around and you just keep sweeping it around and it just stays there. Maybe it's right. like, like a digestion or a processing, you know? Yeah. yeah. It is. It's mental health. Uh, it helps yeah. mental health and it, you know, people use this uh, metaphor a lot, particularly Terrence McKenna, that it wipes the operating system clean it defrags our hard drive it loosens up the files and empties the recycle bin or these types Mm -hmm. of kind of computer like metaphors as to what psychedelics do for our brain 
and our consciousness and our spirit and our soul and the oversoul and the collective and everything beyond, you know, like it just seems to have our best interest in mind. And even when, you know, cause I've heard it said, and I tend to agree, there's no such thing as a bad trip. If you had a hard time and you had to swallow some tough truths and it wasn't fun and it was fearful and there was, you know, some darkness that came up, that's for you to see. That's to help you not go that direction anymore. That's to show you the karma that you're building and to transform yourself so that you don't have to deal with that. You know what I mean? Because psychedelics, plant medicines, they give you a preview of this death experience of this, you know, reincarnation, if you will. And it, it can, that's why I think it aligns so many people back to their true soul's purpose and mission and Dharma is that they can see they can die before they die. <laughs> and, um, again, you know, I, I can't remember that whoever quoted this, but it, it kind of said to die before you die, before you die is to be truly awake. You know, <laughs> as Oster says, die before you die and let go before you go. <laughs> exactly. That's it. So mm -hmm. I, I take it. You understand that these tools are of a spiritual nature. Um, but at the beginning of your voyage um, with plant medicines and psychedelics, it seemed to be a little more casual. When was it that you fully started to grasp how powerful these things were and the lessons um, that they had to offer? Yeah, I think um, it would be that time I was previously sharing about where I, I utilized LSD for for healing for the first time, that was a major turning point for me. It was mm -hmm. just a totally self-guided process. And that kind of turned me onto the shadow as well. Like really seeing these kind of quote, quote, demonic entities and kind of really seeing these, um, let's say next, like, I don't know. What's the plural of nexus nexuses. Um, next eye. <laughs> is that really what it is? Wow. I guess. I don't know. Next eye. Of, um, <laughs> that's a really cool word anyway. Um, but like these next eye nexuses um, of, uh, or like locuses of energy, like energy balls or like energy beings on this other side and just kind of watching how they, they really would interfere with my process unless I would kind of claim my space and like acknowledge them. Um, like they would kind of play with me and fuck with me until I would claim, like, I see you and I know what you're doing and I'm not okay with it. And I claim my space. You're not allowed in my space kind of thing. Oh, um, I love that. And once I would do that and kind of own my, my power anyway, so that's what LSD helped me to kind of uncover and, in these kind of wormholes of awakening. I lived alone for 10 years as well. And, um, through my journey and I love living alone. Oh my God. But, um, so because of that, I could always just be in like three day ritual spaces or like three day healing spaces or longer sometimes, depending on what I had going on. Mm -hmm. So these multi-day kind of voyages to use your word, but 
after that, like my first time with ayahuasca, I was like, wow. Like, mm. And um, that for me, like when I came to the plant medicines in the context of ceremony and in the context of like Shipibo, uh, the Shipibo tradition was the first time I sat with ayahuasca. So for instance, like that cultural lineage, um, shamanic tradition, yeah, it was so, well, my first point, I had already done so much of my remembering work, clearing and remembering work. So when I came to the medicine, I was already really aware of who I was. Um, I was very early in my process and I still had a lot of trauma to address, still do tremendous amount of trauma. But um, I, I came already really aware of my faculties and my power and... Um, so Aya just really accelerated um, for me. <clears throat> like she really just amplified everything, these portals that I was already kind of ferociously like expanding into um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of awakening to what's really going on in this world and like how we all really have been asleep to these systems of oppression and what they look like and what actually are they and what could it really be like and what were the golden ages like. and Right. And what was my role in all of it? And what is shadow? And so when I came, I just, I saw so much beauty and she really showed me like the world stage and like the chess game that was being played and her role in it. And mm -hmm. it was just, she just was, it was more of an affirmation than anything. And, um, you know, a lot more personal uh, of my personal journey, but it took me a long, I didn't do any psychedelic for eight months. And mm. not that I really, I'm not, I don't trip a lot. I'm not a person. I mean, I did a lot in high school, but from mm -hmm. that point, like I don't really take a lot of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I address and I integrate for a long time before mm -hmm. I will, like, I don't seek it out. It's not something that I'm like, Oh, I got, got to go. You know, it, it's very right. um, slow for me. Cause I don't really need a lot. And mm -hmm. But so eight months after, it took me eight months to integrate. I did nothing. Of course, mm -hmm. I don't want to go into the whole personal journey, but I had a lot of trauma to clear after that occurred. And, mm -hmm. and then I smoked 5-MeO DMT for the first time. And holy, <laughs> holy shit. The way I say it is like, what? how do I say it? If I blew the doors off, toad burned the building down, like kind of thing, yeah. like, Oh right. shit. That was just horrible for me. It was amazing. And, um, why it was so challenging for me personally is because, uh, it awakened my Kundalini, okay. <laughs> which has been the most horrific, unfathomable, unsurmountable, um, obstacle uh, challenge I have ever experienced by a landslide. Um, wow. Just, I would like to talk about that. Uh, but continue only because I, I just wanted to say I, I hear Kundalini mm -hmm. as both favorable and mm -hmm. unfavorable. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into what the differences are, but, but continue what you were saying. Yeah. It's so different for every person. So, but um, yeah, so that, but I didn't know it. That was the thing. It took me about a year before one of my teachers was like, this is what's happening to you. And I was like, well, game changed. That was four years ago when all this started, by the way. But anyway, so basically from that point, I because I had 
been in the community building role for so many years, I base I had a large network. I always have had a lot of relationships, which is very challenging for me as a very highly sensitive person and a major mm-hmm. introvert. But um, so I start telling everyone because I'm like, holy shit, this medicine, like, mm-hmm. wow, like people need to know about this, right? Yeah. And so I start sharing about it to everyone. And I start bringing all these people to the medicine and I was sitting in on these spaces. And so then it just kind of was again, like this natural organic process of like working with the psychedelics in this realm of holding these spaces. And I was already, I kind of didn't go over this part of my journey, but like about five years prior, like maybe actually a few years prior, I'm not sure the timeline I had started working more with ceremony and like ritual. I was really working Mm -hmm. in kind of like a reclamation of witchcraft, but more like earth-based sort of like ritual um, Mm -hmm. and doing like moon ceremonies and things like that. So that, that structure piece had already been developing for a few years. And then, so when I started this, it was like, I saw how much the psychedelics needed that structure and that grounding and that intention. Um, Mm And so that's the piece that I really brought was the structure and, and how yeah. to do it in, a, in the most optimal way um, with the best contracts with the unseen world so that it would create the best container, the therapeutic yeah. container, essentially. So anyway, but so from that point, it just was really organic. And then we made the church to kind of support everything that we were doing because um, we saw that was just. I hope it's okay to be sharing about all this actually. Um, but just yeah, to support fine. everything we were doing and, and it really just made sense. And so, and where we're at now, it makes a lot of sense. But at the time I will just mention, like there were very few psychedelic churches. This is in like 2017. Mm. It seemed ludicrous. Like it just seemed like the most out there concept that I could ever, like I tell my mom, she's Baptist and she's like, you're making uh, we're, you're making a church like she's totally on board with everything I do. She's very awake. I'm very lucky. But she mm-hmm. was just it was just so outlandish to think about making a church, you know. But now mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing it. But right. yeah, and then the way the church got founded and everything was just really mystical and and magical and serendipitous and like that happened and and so from there it's just been really building the community base around it and, and sort of the standards of integrity and, um, and maintaining everything, um, to really ground the portals. Um, absolutely. Like the support work around it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys do an amazing job with all that. Um, Mm -hmm. and I did want to, yeah, absolutely. I did want to say, wasn't there a synchronicity about how you named it? Church of the sacred. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, what was so weird. Um, about it was that so I'm like writing a disclaimer because we're going to do a retreat so I'm like writing and researching for the disclaimer and I, I'm at the coffee shop and I like look at Ostra and over and I'm like Ostra like what what do we call ourselves like what's the you know who are they not like like who's not liable like is it mm-hmm. an organization or is it us or so she's like all right and I'm she's like I'll do some research I'm like okay So we're just sitting there. I'm in my own world again. And she looks over at me again from the computer. And I still like this memory is so vivid for me. Like where the, I remember the dust specks sparkling in the sun. Like I remember Mm -hmm. this moment of like the environment around us. And I just remember this drop moment of download, divine download on the table of this coffee shop. 
And she's like, Clem, like, I think we're supposed to make a church. And I'm like, (laughs) and it was so, like I said, outlandish, but it felt so right. And it felt big, like, holy shit, how are we going to do that and ground that? And, but I had had all this experience building this art collective and structuring like multi-level organizations and multi-department organizations. So I was like, well, I know how to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of fucking work. Um, So we go home, we go home to my little casita on the East side. And I'm like, we're like, all right, let's meditate, right? And again, we had called the ceremony structure that we had created or that I had brought from my previous work, we called it a womb. And and mm-hmm. really, for me, this process was about really nurturing people and taking a feminine approach to these healing spaces. Mm-hmm. And so, which is the foundation of everything that we do, more or less. But so we knew that the structure was called the womb, but we independently went and we both heard womb as an independent, like that it's supposed to be called a womb. And it was just like, what? wow. Well, so we came back together having meditated independently. And we were just blown away by the fact that we had both heard that same concept right. as the yep. core element. Well, then the other piece is we had downloaded that there's supposed to be a council of 13 decision makers, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, well, I had just spent all this these years you know, making these brands for artists and stuff. So I'm like, okay, first thing you're going to do is look it up. Like what's out on the market. Oh, by the way, we thought it was supposed to be called temple of the sacred womb. Mm. So we, we downloaded temple of the sacred womb and we downloaded that there's supposed to be a council of 13 decision makers. Okay. Fair and well. So then we look it up and there's not only a temple of the sacred womb, in Colorado Springs, which is now defunct, but they also on their about page had council of 13. (laughs) We're like, what? Like we never ended up connecting with them just for whatever reason. And now their website's gone, but it was like, so we named it church, which is more in alignment with, um, you know, this movement anyway. But that was this confirmation of like, this is something from another world that wants to come here And we are in service to this being that in our view is a goddess spirit and a feminine guide of the people reinstating these ancient earth practices and um, knowledge. And we are here in service and that has been how it has been. And we've been devoted to four for four years at largely with unpaid community work. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and it has been, (laughs) So, so many twists and turns and uh, losses and gains. and um, But it it's more and more is making sense. And yeah. we're just kind of in awe about, you know, again, to your point, is it often does take about five years before something even really gets going. And sure. uh, people that have that kind of stamina and vision and patience and commitment, you can make anything. But it does take, it takes a while. So absolutely. Yeah. So that's, wow. That is powerful. That was a powerful journey. Um, so I just wanted to, cause I, I barely remember this to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. how did you meet Ostra who is the co-founder of the church? Yeah. Um, in an ayahuasca ceremony in that first time I did ayahuasca together, she was there with me. Oh, wow. And uh, we met and she was wearing this like big blue fluffy coat. And I'm very much like a cat and she's very much like a cat. And I was like, can I pet you? And she was like, yes, you can pet me. And so we just like, we're like, oh, like just 
really right away, very, very connected. And she had stayed at my house like a few nights um, throughout those eight months Mm -hmm. of my processing. And then we came together at the end of the year in 2017. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, because, you know, partnership, um, a team really can help manifest things a lot Mm -hmm. faster than just on your own. And, uh, but, you know, it's even more potently uh, available or, I don't know, the universe responds more potently to when there's a spiritual inclination and a spiritual partnership going on, too. Yeah. Because two people can be completely on on the different sides of the coin as far as their spirituality and still working together in tandem. But when they're on the same side of the coin, they understand each other in that way. I don't know. I feel like that's where real, you know, magic happens when it comes yeah. to like creative ventures and stuff. Agreed. Yeah, there's um, more dynamism. Like you can really, but at the same time, like being really careful because there's so many times when I was called to build with people and they really weren't the right people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, obviously you learn a lot and, um, and you, you know, but it's, it's also its own form of karmic clearing. And so, yeah. Um, just being really aligned within self and making sure that you're not giving your power away or you, you know, that your boundaries are respected or that, you, you know, they're empowering you and giving you credit where it's due and things like that. Um, right. feel, yeah, just as Absolutely. Like a, a caveat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an important thing. I don't know why it seems like to some people, uh, giving credit is, is like somehow de- depowering yourself. You know, I feel like I don't understand that, you know, like I feel like so many people, I, you know, not so many, but in my life I've encountered, people that will want the credit for themselves mm-hmm. instead of actually give props to the person that taught them or they helped or helped them or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with that. It's, I've always thought of it as a cool thing to give credit to who I worked for, yeah. not to say I did it. It was me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what do you think yeah. about this? Oh man, I could write a volume on this, but, um, yeah, I heard it recently. A friend called it attribution, like giving attribution, which I like that word also credit hits it. Like Mm -hmm. my, um, I have a big pain point here because a lot, like an extensive list of people have, um, copied my exact model, um, Mm -hmm. and, or benefited from me, um, used my ideas without accreditation, And, you know, the question or the debate is like, well, is it really yours? And like, my thing about this is this notion of like, and I used to really struggle with this, like claiming credit, even to my own self for like my own brilliance and my own gifts and my own alignment and ability to channel truth. And, um, my, uh, one of my coaches at the time, she was like, well, the, the writer chooses to write the sentence. The, the mm-hmm. photographer chooses to click the photo from that angle. Like, so it really is going through a lens of a person. Like, yes, it's universal truth, but how it's positioned, how it's communicated, with what tone, with what energy, with what flavor, mm-hmm. all of that actually is attributable to the creator, the, the human. Like, we're choosing to capture it and in a certain way, and that's our essence. That's our gift. And so people that just re 
appropriate these ideas and oh my god like so you're wondering what the issue is with it what i've determined is what it actually is is um there's a parasite of the mind um mm-hmm. and it's capitalism capitalistic mm-hmm. um and, and there's some kind of like mind virus mm-hmm. where people it's like a um, an extractive um, I'm going to get that for myself and I don't have enough and I have to take from you. Right. And it, it's like this like fiending kind of addictive. Yeah. And, and I, I actually see it very much as similar to like people's relationship with the land and which we're mm-hmm. all, you know, we're all trying to get out of these kind of paradigms of like using and taking and making too much trash. And like, it's that same kind of energy of like, like in the shamanic world, we think of everything as living. And so mm-hmm. like you go to an apple tree and most people are just going to pluck the apple off. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to feel entitled to that apple. They're going to say there's no, it's for them. And I'm going to just take what I want. But then right. there's this shamanic view. That's more like, I'm going to go to this tree and I'm going to, before I even enter the field of the tree, I'm going to be psychically connecting and telepathically communicating my honor and um, awe of this magnificent being. And I'm going to be entering its field of energy with reverence and I'm going to go to it and I'm going to offer something um, like tobacco or incense or something. I'm going to offer something to this tree in acknowledgement of the spirit of this tree and in acknowledgement of the entire ecosystem, which has led to the potential of this tree, even fruiting. And, and I'm going to honor and come with humble reverence. And I'm going to ask the tree, may I receive your fruits that you have offered? And there's just a completely different approach to taking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the similar idea, like with the ideas, it's like, I love to give credit. Like for me, it's like, it empowers everyone around me. Like I love to make people larger than life, like mythological creatures. So it's like, if I'm in a group or like they say, they call it rooms of opportunity. Like if I'm in a room of opportunity, I'm going to sure as hell going to give credit to somebody that has inspired me, including people on my own team or people that are like working for me or in any capacity that are, I'm going to build them up because that's what they deserve. And likewise, it, it really boils down to like what we started this conversation with, which is like the hubris of people thinking that they're the expert before they're even truly initiated. Right. And like, that's what it boils down to because I think that they don't do it because they don't truly feel ma- like their own mastery because it's fully not baked yet. So yeah. it's like, they want to hide that they're a student. They want to like hide that they're, um, learning from other people or something like they don't feel fully in their own power, which they're not because they're not fully initiated. Um, and it's also something around like our culture doesn't, um, our culture does not have that attribution quality. Like it's a very take, take, take extraction. Whereas other cultures like teachers and mentors and guides were an inherent part of your process. Like you went 10 years, 20 years before you ever would be in a leader role, you know? And, you know, I get that nowadays, you know, it is a little more urgent and we are kind of in a crumbling state, but it's like, I see a lot of leaders and true teachers, like true 
people that have really done the work, like we're talking four or five decades of work, and Mm -hmm. they don't have apprentices helping them the way they should. They don't have, like, I'm like, where are the people that are going to show up in humble reverence and support these people so that they can get their work out into the world? They just, we don't have that in our culture. So everyone thinks they're an expert after a year of their awakening. And it's like, honey, Mm -hmm. like, you don't even know the half of what you're doing. Like, And and so that's what I think is kind of the the disease is like, there's this lack of humility and a lack of honoring your teachers as a lineage. Absolutely. Something coming up for me is it's a, uh, it's a lack of soul maturity perhaps because it kind of makes me think of, remember when, you know, maybe we've seen this as adults and maybe I even did it as a kid, but when you're a toddler and someone calls you a kid and you're like, I'm not a kid, you know, <laughs> clearly you're a kid, right? You know, or, or yeah. when you're a, when you're a preteen, you know, you're 11 years old and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're a kid. And you're like, no, I'm a preteen, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm almost a teenager. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grown up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that same naivete as to yeah. like the full length of this journey. Yeah. And where you are in it right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They want to feel like, oh, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. You know, mm-hmm. I, for myself, still, and I've talked about this on my show, I feel this like un, like slight disconfidence uh, mm-hmm. in what I have to share because I still mm-hmm. feel like I'm at the beginning of my journey, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I feel like if I just voice that and own that, I can share um, because I'm letting people know that I'm just learning. I'm still just learning. I'm not here as any authority on all this, but I find it helpful for myself to continue learning and that maybe someday, maybe I'll step into being an authority on some of these things. But, you know, I'm already almost 31, you know, and I still feel like I'm at the beginning and I don't know. It just feels like it's only helped me to, to, to remain humble in this way to continue to learn from people um, and, and how to get to where I see, you know, myself and where I want to go essentially. Yeah. Um, and what this brings up for me is like, that's why you're qualified to lead. <laughs> we don't have to be fully, um, in our power or it's like you have to be it's like vulnerable leadership and where it's like yeah. and it all brings up for me also the dunning kruger effect are you familiar with that um, um i've heard it but i don't recall what it means right now okay so essentially the dunning kruger effect is where um there is a bias in our society because People that are truly qualified to lead, and by that they mean that they're self-aware, that there's other people more qualified than them. So these are people that are super brilliant or super um, just gifted in some way, yet they're hesitant to step up to the podium because they're aware that there's someone more qualified than them and that they should be aware of that and make room for those people. Well then, but you have most of the podiums are taken up by people that do not have that self-awareness. So you have people Mm. rushing to the leadership position, you have people rushing to the podium because they aren't aware enough to know that there's somebody that's more qualified to speak on it. 
mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so there's a total bias in society where most people rushing. And I kind of see this as like people that are like really good at self-promotion and really good at like, look at me and they want to be seen everywhere and they want to be seen on every forum and they're constantly wanting to be involved with everything. It's like they're promoting, promoting. There's not a lot of substance probably, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, why are they like constantly externalizing? I mean, that's a generalization, but it's like this idea that people that are rushing to like organize IA ceremonies or even serve IA ceremonies, like they're completely unaware of their own hubris. But then on the flip side, we have people that would be truly humble leaders that are truly qualified and are self-aware to doubt their qualifications because that's what it takes to be self-aware, not stepping into it because they're, you know, they're aware enough. So, right. So yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's summed up by a quote. I forget who said it, but um, the pro- all the problems with the world stem from the fact that the intelligent are full of doubt, and mm-hmm. um, the incompetent are cocksure, something like sure. that. that. And that's the issue. So that's what we're looking it, it at. It really is. It really <laughs> is. Well, that's a message that I think needs to be heard because I'm sure a ton of people out there maybe have this attitude and aren't stepping up into their roles that the divine or God or whatever you want to say has, you know, plans for them in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can't happen until you, you listen to those whispers and take up that mission. And yeah, you know, and that's a little bit of what the purpose is of this show is just for me to share because I have been feeling like I'm learning so much. It is a disservice to not share what I'm learning and who I'm learning from. And you know what I mean? That's kind of the mission of this podcast and even the podcast network because I'm learning so much from all these people. Um, Even guests on my friends shows that I'm like, this is falling into my lap. Like you, like you said earlier, you know, like it, why do I have like great relationships with a bunch of podcasters? Why am I drawn towards it? if it isn't falling into my lap and it's not part of my path and I just feel like it is. And that's all I can do is, is show up and continue to do what feels right. You know? And I think that's what you're doing with, with the church and um, just to speak, you know, cause I know we're running low on time here um, more about the church and how people might be able to get involved and learn about it. Um, and the services you offer and maybe where you see this going, um, in the future. Um, yeah. So speaking to the church specifically, um, we do a lot of different things. Um, we offer a lot of different kinds of ceremony and, um, we do a monthly dance with you guys, which has just been such a tremendous gift in my life. I get so much out of it. I, I don't know if I've told you this, how every week after I'm just flying on cloud nine. Amazing. I told you that like literally for a week, I just <laughs> beam. Like I, I feel it every time, just this influx of joy and, and connection. Um, Same. Same. And, I love doing uh, it. It's, it's oh amazing. I think we should just dive into that for a second, you know, and just say, yeah, so we, we are co-manifesting ecstatic dance as an event. Um, it's so much fun. It really came to me and Steven in a journey, um, where we just felt cause we're both yoga teachers. We're very into yoga. Um, we practice pretty much daily. Um, 
And we understood for the first time in this altered state and this expanded mind space that dance is yoga, you know? And so we were like, wow. So our love of music and our love of yoga can come together in perfect harmony with ecstatic dance. And then we just, we brought it up to you guys and you were so thankful that, you know, I'm so thankful you guys were down to give it a go with us. Oh and, my God, and, are you kidding? We yeah, were like it, trying to manifest the DJ. Like we were like, we, <laughs> would love to do it. we were like putting it out there of like with the perfect DJ, like, because also that is kind of a thing. Like they have to have the taste, like you got to have yeah. the right taste, you know? But we were like, oh, like probably for six months or something, we were like, where's the DJ? Who, who's right. the DJ? And then y'all just pop up and are like, hey, what do you think? Yeah. And y'all are all humble. Like, you maybe, like, maybe you would be open. And we're like, uh, what? <laughs> like, literally answered our prayers. And Amazing. then the first one was just so powerful. And from there, yeah, like just divine alignment. And we're yes. so grateful. Like, I mean, there's people Amazing. that tell us like this is their favorite dance in Austin, and like they go to a lot of them, and like, mm-hmm. and I think it really is just y'all's music taste and y'all's uh, the humble alignment of of mm-hmm. God. Like y'all are not here to make money. Y'all are not here to you know push an agenda. Y'all are here to uplift the creative power of the community and to amplify the people and to reinstate that ancient tribal dynamic of embodied love and creation and it's like that is it that's it you know that's that's, what brings me joy so thank you for helping me feel joyous me too oh my god (laughs) i have goosebumps all over right now just like totally just totally it and in a kind of more long-term note we definitely are wanting to do the ecstatic dance tour um, yes. and, uh, part of, partly we're wanting to, um, this is on the, on the pipeline to make a list of intentional communities all throughout the U S where we can go and, and do this, you know, throughout and really connect the network. So that's yeah. kind of coming in really excited to, 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 be on the road with you guys, uh, yes. when that is the right time. Absolutely. And, um, it's and yeah, for fantastic. us, oh my God, like oh, already <laughs> is, but just going to get better and better. But then like for us, the dance piece is very much about integration and we like to offer integration in three ways. Um, one is through the dance because it's the embodiment piece and community piece. So people are really getting that, um, kind of nervous system imprint, that ventral vagal, like we're all connected and we're healthy and we're here on the earth and we're moving our bodies together. Um, kind of merging with a collective that feels safe, um, which heals the nervous system. And then the other piece is a verbal processing, which we do weekly uh, women's and men's circles every Wednesday in South Austin right now. And then mm-hmm. we also like to offer uh, art workshops when we're right now, we're looking at more infrastructural focus, but usually we do an art integration night every, every month. Not right now though, yes, but um, so okay. we like to integrate in multiple ways. And so all of that community work is to support the other work that we do ceremony work and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, um, we do a lot of different things though. I don't know how much I can share here. So just wanting mm-hmm. to be vague, but, um, yeah, sure. always happy to, for people to, um, you can email us at church of the sacred room at Gmail and that's, um, just be really vague. We're happy to meet you on telegram and, and get more info. Just be vague. Like you would right. not believe how people email us and we're like, really, bro? <laughs> like, really? Like, come on, you know? Right. Um, 
but yeah, right. and then and otherwise just just uh, here we're community in Austin, and um, it is our longer term goals are we we really feel geared toward the land and shifting to a land based structure. So our right. primary goal at this time is is buying and and moving. Whether that's you know we're looking at San Marcos unrestricted area, we're looking at Cedar Creek unrestricted area. So so we may be moving further out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, in the near future and, and really wanting to, to build a community hub that can mm-hmm. offer people more like a base, whether right. that's like nomadic type situation or whether right. that's ceremony retreat type situation or just general people that are down in their luck and, and needing, you know, right. a base to kind of get through to the next chapter. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're working on right now. And then, Beautiful. Yeah, a lot more is coming through, but uh, but right now that's what I'm feeling called to share. Amazing. So um, your website is churchofthesacredwomb.com? Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I feel called. We just launched our online shop portion, which supports all the community building work. So that's where you can get hape and, and cacao and things like that. Beautiful. And um, we launched that. It's called Luminary Union. Uh, and the website is luminaryunion.love. And that, cool. we're really excited about that. That's going to kind of balance out a lot of the, the free labor that we do. We, we give services to a lot of people that cannot pay. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of, uh, of supporting pe- of people because we are a church. Right. It is a church. And totally. in that way, we, we struggle, or I don't even want to use the term struggle, but we, we, we navigate between business and community and when god is telling you to support someone you do it like that's what you do because that's what the role is and so um yeah so that kind of supports so all the purchases there support the community building work and our endeavors and everything so really grateful for support there and uh, we're really excited because i like oh that's like the fulfillment of a whole long you know when we'd get that up and Mm-hmm. there's a lot more that we need to still put on and then but yeah otherwise we're on facebook and instagram just at church of the sacred womb and yeah really really just really building that community base so that we can all survive the apocalypse yeah <laughs> let's do it yeah. let's survive together yeah. let's do it together yes yeah. absolutely Thank you so much, Clem. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I still have nice. even more things I want to talk to you about, but uh, we'll do it either off the air or we'll have to book another podcast. But yeah, in the um, flow. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely amazing time. And um, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this show. Love you so much. Thank you all Love so you. much. Love you. <laughs> and keep going. We got this. We're all figuring it out together. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Keep going. Let's Keep go. Keep going. Let's do it. <laughs>